0: Horror Critic. Good
1: evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt.
2: And I'm Chris.
1: And this is a podcast where my... Wife and I argue over horror films and analyze them like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you (laughs) never learn anything. Maybe we never quite get to the heart of everything. (laughs) But hopefully you have a good time listening. So uh, today we are wrapping up our space horror month and going to hell (laughs) in space with Event Horizon, the 1997 film directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, who a lot of you probably know directed the films uh, Resident Evil and the 90s Mortal Kombat that we all love and adore, or at least that I love and adore. Because it's
2: amazing.
1: (laughs) I still claim that it's the best video game movie ever made. (laughs) Uh, And it was written by Philip Eisner, who also did a film called Mutant Chronicles. And I just want to throw in really quickly, just because I was amused by this, uh, I posted about the game Dead Space the other day, which is the really popular sci-fi horror franchise games. They did three of them and this is a franchise that like you know people like myself and a lot of others have been clamoring for uh live action film adaptation forever now mm-hmm. and anyway i posted about that and phil Eisner of all people like quoted my tweet and <laughs> and said something like how uh he would love to write that movie but then he also said but i kind of already did referring to <laughs> event horizon <laughs> and my response to that is just phil if you're ever listening Yes, we would all love you to write Dead Space.
2: You <laughs> can write more.
1: We we would love you to write Dead Space because Phil killed it with Event Horizon. Um, yep. Which you can definitely see, Dead Space took a lot from Event Horizon. So we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. But we like to do a little bit of spoiler-free stuff first. So as far as releases go this week, uh, we have a film called Skull the Mask. And these will all be uh, out by the time you're listening to this. But there's a film called Skull the Mask uh, coming the Shudder. And you're laughing, but you saw a trailer for this the other day and you admitted it looks really cool. (laughs) Oh,
2: I'm just, I'm more making a face because when I hear Skull the Mask, I'm like, no, but the skull goes inside your head, not on the outside. No,
1: a mask does not go inside your head, Chris. No, but a
2: skull does.
1: Yes, it does. But (laughs) I don't even know what what to say to that. (laughs) Um... But no, yeah, so Skull the Mask is a really cool film that I caught. Uh I always forget which festivals I see these things at, but uh but I but I caught Skull the Mask a while back at a festival and it's a really cool film that looks just as gory and fun as the trailer makes it out to be. Uh it's got a lot of really neat mythology to it and it basically involves this like ancient uh I don't know what to call it. We'll we'll say demon or spirit or something like that. This this ancient thing that inhabits this kind of like mythical skull and anyway this thing gets dug up and ends up and it and it ends up uh attaching itself to someone and then they're basically going on a killing spree as this like behemoth <laughs> wearing this like skull mask and anyway it's really cool it's got a lot of it's it's like a demonic, epic adventure meets, like, slasher film, you know? So so it's just got this character just going around and just murdering so many people <laughs> in so many bloody and creative ways. Uh, but it's a really fun film. I, I believe that the title implies that it is meant to hopefully uh, have some sequels down the line. So everyone go check it out and Shudder when it comes out, and maybe we'll get that eventually. Uh, but anyway, so that's coming out. Another one is a film called Funhouse, which is coming to VOD, and I just wanted to mention this one because both Chris and I, as some of you might know, uh, worked on the show Big Brother, and this film, Fun House, is kind of like what I would always personally joke with some people about what I wanted Big Brother to be. <laughs> so basically, Fun House uh, is this film that gathers a bunch of, uh, I think, like YouTube celebrities or whatever, and it puts them in this house, and then fans like vote on uh, really just obscene and violent like, contests and things that they have to do. And anyway, I would always be on Big Brother sets and, like, joke about how, you know, I wish that we could just have all the contestants go out into the yard and there'd be, like, a knife in the middle of the yard <laughs> and we'd just be like, this is your competition, go, with no rules, and they'd just, like, all start fucking killing each other. Knife fighting. Um, yeah. <laughs> Probably would not make a, a, a good show for very long. Um, um, but uh, But anyway, so I wanted to mention that cause I thought it was funny. Also, it has... Um, One of my favorite filmmakers in it, Gigi Saul Guerrero, who a lot of you probably know directed the film Culture Shock uh, for Hulu, and she just, every time Gigi touches the camera, she just does really fun, gory stuff, Um, so I'm kind of hoping that that's a little bit of what Funhouse is going to be. She didn't make it, but she's in it, because she also acts, too, and is a really great actress, but uh, anyway, so that's coming out, and lastly, a big one, uh, A Quiet Place Part 2 is finally... (laughs) Finally coming to theaters we <laughs> this weekend. can finally see this movie. We can finally see it. You know, this one has such a just, it's almost going to be like iconic in the sense of just the history behind it now, because, you know, A Quiet Place Part 2 was, I think, one of the first films that was pulled from theaters uh, before it released, thanks to the pandemic. You know, it was to the point where a bunch of critics had already seen it and had reviews for it. Uh, that they hadn't published yet, I don't think, and then it got pulled, like, literally right before release because of the pandemic. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's finally coming here. Yeah. It's the sequel to John Krasinski's uh, brilliant original film, which has, you know, sees a world taken over by monsters that track you by sound and... And it just, the sequel looks even more intense, and I can't wait to see it. It just looks awesome. Plus
2: Killian Murphy's in it.
1: (laughs) Plus Killian Murphy, who looks like he plays a pretty bad dude per usual for him. (laughs) I
2: fucking love him.
1: But so anyway, so yeah, so that's all coming out this week. So you got a few fun ones to look forward to. So something else we like to do before we get into sport territory is we like to put up a poll on our Twitter, at Killer Critics, and just kind of get your thoughts and feelings on the film overall. So, between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on event horizon?
2: I mean, I feel like it has to be love it. This is such a, like, good, creepy, weird, like, space horror, and, like, Sam Neill's in it, and he's fantastic. So, how can people not love it? Personally, I don't. So, I I always assume when I
1: don't love a movie. Did you just say how could people not love it and then say I don't love it? Like,
2: <laughs> well, because it's one of those movies where, like, we watch. How could it- people
1: not love it? I hate it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's one of those movies. Like, there's a handful of horror films where, like, they're not particularly my jam, but I totally get why people like them because I don't like them because they give me weird emotions. So they're doing their job, and I hate them for it.
1: Yeah. So you are correct on this one. Sixty-six point one percent said they love it. Twenty-one point eight percent said it's fine. Three percent don't like it, and nine point one percent have never seen it. Which is just a massive difference from the last, <laughs> last couple week. weeks, where like seventy <laughs> percent of you said you haven't seen the films. So <laughs> but no, yeah, Event Horizon. It. I don't. I, you know. I honestly don't remember how popular this film was when it came out. I remember that. I was critical of it and wasn't a huge fan initially. Uh, I've I've come around quite a bit to where I now love it and consider it to be like uh, Paul Paul Anderson's masterpiece, personally. Because Mortal is my favorite movie of his. It's really fun, but yeah. I think Event Horizon is this masterpiece where oh. everything just kind of came together for him, you know?
2: Absolutely.
1: But it has really gathered a cult following as time has gone on, and it's just to the point now where... Yeah, when you think space horror, Event Horizon's right up there in, like, top five best space horror movies. So. Yeah. But we also like to get your comments on Twitter as well and kind of see what you all think of it. So I got a few here. At uh, Dami in L.A. This is D-O-M-M-Y in L-A. This is my buddy Dami. What's up, Dami? Uh, and so Dami says, It's a fun, well-shot, glorious, gory, cohesive mess that results in viewers wanting more and as a result loving it. You love what you can't have. Like, when you eat a great last slither of chocolate cake that's delicious and you just want more, but you can't because it's all gone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, I definitely agree with you on the cake part, and now I want cake. You know, Event Horizon, it is such, for a movie that's dealing with such interesting psychological stuff within the context, it is a really coherent movie. makes sense. It's got great visuals. Like, it is really fantastically done. It's just real creepy.
1: So, I mean, I get what Dami's saying in the sense that, you know, it is that kind of movie where you do watch it and you want more. You know, I want more. And and we all kind of do that sort of the theme in some of the comments I have here, because (laughs) as as some of you probably know, you know, uh, Event Horizon was a film that had quite a bit cut from it in the gore department. And <laughs> some of that was because, I think, uh, of studio interference, you know, and not and not wanting certain things in the film. Some of it in listening to the commentary seems to have been Anderson's decision because uh, there are certain points that I guess they felt it was a little too much, you know? <laughs> so there's, uh, for example, there's a scene at some point in the movie where, where Peters, played by Kathleen Quinlan, you know, she has a son who... Uh, she 's left on Earth who appears to have some sort of ailment we 're not exactly sure what, and she has a vision of him with his legs all fucked up and apparently that that scene was a little bit more graphic, I think originally and <laughs> and uh and they sort of felt that that just turned the audience off at that point and you know, people were l- less scared and more, like, pissed that they were seeing this violence towards <laughs> a kid, which, I don't know, I, I always get kind of weird about that stuff where I'm like, eh, you know, if it fits the movie, then do it, but.
2: Yeah, but I think uh, the quick shot works really well for that scene.
1: It does, because it's quick and grizzly, and it gives you exactly what you need, but like Dami, you know, a lot of us want some more here and there, so. Uh, but anyway, so thank you, Dami, for the comment, really appreciate it. Uh, next is at VM, or, or V McNasties. so that's V M C. N A S T I E S. And they say the CGI hasn't aged well, but this is a classic in my eyes. There weren't many movies like this at the time, and it's so savage. There's a genuine sense of doom throughout, and none of the characters ever seem safe.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Like, for me, the CGI, especially the CGI, like floating objects in the very beginning. Almost kind of take me out of the movie, but it so quickly redeems itself with everything else. And yeah, there is that like impending sense of doom throughout the entire film. And I would argue we don't have very many movies like this just in general. Event Horizon really is its own beast that can't really be compared to anything else. Like, I think the only thing I've ever had to compare it against is there's a comic book called Nameless by Grant Morrison, which has similar vibes, but that's the only thing I've ever seen. It's even come remotely close to what Event Horizon does.
1: I mean, I would disagree with that. <laughs> of just course you would,
2: <laughs> you bastard. Well,
1: I mean, because um, you know, there there are films out there like uh, like Hellraiser Four, mm-hmm. you know, which obviously is not the same thing as Event Horizon. A lot of a lot of Hellraiser Four takes place not in space, you know, uh, but you can definitely see the influences I think from Hellraiser Four in Event Horizon. Where Event Horizon sort of feels like the movie that a lot of people wanted from Hellraiser 4. Mm-hmm. I still love Hellraiser 4, but I get it. It's not it's not the movie that was sold to us with Hellraiser in space, you know. Yeah. It's more like Pinhead goes to space for like twenty minutes while having an hour long flashback to his previous life. Like <laughs> you know, so it's so it's not quite what everyone expected. But but there there are films that have a similar vibe. It's just that, yeah, Event Horizon, especially at the time, you know, it it, it touched on Something that I would say more so that we don't see it often, you know, we just don't we don't get often these really atmospheric, grisly, uh, just as as V. McNasty's put it puts it savage space horror films, you know, a lot of times space horror is pretty campy. It's fun. And and this is kind of one of the few that, like, really goes hard in the trying to make it scary, right? And, and I agree, too, that, you know, there is a sense of doom throughout where the characters never feel safe. Like, from the very beginning, with <laughs> Sam Neil waking up and seeing, like, his dead wife and everything. like yep. or, or or not seeing his dead wife when he has that vision of, you know, a naked-skinned person floating through space. Like, it's pretty fucking grim, right? And And from that point on, just everything in this movie has you a little bit unsettled. Uh, but anyway, so thank you, V. McNasty's, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Next is at Jo 2 So that's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-J-O-T-O. And they say, well, Event Horizon has the typical Anderson characteristics of flashy scenes above substance. This film still manages to create an immersive world with themes and imagery that stick with you long after viewing. It's a cult classic for a reason.
2: Uh, I guess for me with this, like, I think there is actually quite a bit of substance to this movie, so I might disagree with that specific comment, but I will agree with you that it is a very flashy movie. Just, there's a lot of flashing lights throughout the entire thing. Yeah, not flashing literally. (laughs) No.
1: It's (laughs) It's flashy as in they're, you know, typically with Paul Anderson, I I agree with this comment in the sense that, you know, Anderson often gets criticized for that exact reason. He's kind of like Zack Snyder in that way of, like, you know, really great visuals, great action, mm-hmm. uh, but not always the most substance. A- and that's, you know, part of that I think is because of Anderson's projects that he's done, like you know, Mortal Kombat, <laughs> Resident Evil. I mean, those are based off of video games. It's yeah. really hard to build a whole lot of substance with those, right? But I do think that Philip Eisner's script is really strong. I do think that this is one of uh, one of Anderson's films with a little bit more substance. You know and cuz there cuz there is a lot going on in this movie that we're yeah. going to get into in a minute but but i agree in that the visuals of the film are just so fantastic and i right? and I, I don't know that i can quite say iconic but but i i would assume that with most people if i were to bring up event horizon one of the first things that you think about is the look of the movie yeah and 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 particularly the look of the ship you know so i definitely agree there that this film is just one that sticks with you long after because there is so much imagery in it that is horrific and dark and just unsettling. You know, it yeah. really does stick with you. So anyway, thank you, Carolyn Joe too for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is at Porkchop Product One. So that's P-O-R-K-C-H-O-P-P-R-O-D-U-C and then the number one. And they say, I saw this when it came out and always thought it was a killer sci-fi horror movie. Some of the CGI doesn't stand up today but it's still a great movie and I'm glad it has a cult following now.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's I can't say I'm not surprised it has a cult following. Like this movie does do so many good elements that we've we've talked about and hyped up. Um I will say the first time I got to see this, it was one that that Matt showed me um cuz I didn't a lot of the movies we talk about I didn't see in theaters. Um, And I will say the one thing that kind of bummed me out about this film is that I had fallen in love with Sam Neill as Jurassic Park Man, <laughs> and this movie ruined it for me in such a delightful way.
1: Yeah, I, f- I find it kind of funny because Jurassic Park ruined dinosaurs for you when you were a kid. Yep. And <laughs> then you fin- then I finally like made you sit through the whole movie... As an adult, and you're like, I love this, and you love Sam Neill. Yep. And then I make you watch Event Horizon, and now you're like, God damn it, Sam Neill! Now I look at you as this man. Yep. <laughs> like, it's been so, a roller coaster. Been a, l- a roller coaster for you. Uh, so you know, I I didn't comment on the CGI in the last comment. So what I'll just say here is, you know, yeah, the 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 one flaw with Event Horizon, which is not the film's fault for the time it was made, but is definitely you know a, a fair criticism now is. The CGI and the digital effects, pretty bad. Yeah. You know, pretty bad by today's comparison. <laughs> now, back when it was made in 1997, you know, I, I would still say they weren't great for the time. Uh, but, I mean, when you've got movies like Jurassic Park out there, you know, it's <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, I wish more of the visual effects looked like that. But, right. <laughs> so it was possible, but it was very expensive, you know. Yeah. So not a lot of movies could afford that, so we kind of end up with these uh like computer game sort of graphics for the 90s (laughs) at the time right uh so yeah the cgi very bad it opens the movie too where you've got all these cg things floating through a spaceship and it's not a good way to start you know if you're trying to get a new fan from today's age because you know there are definitely those fans out there that if they see something like that in the first seconds they might immediately just turn their nose up at it and walk away, right? <laughs> Which is unfortunate. If you're yep. one of those fans who did that and you never watched Event Horizon in full, go watch this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and uh, the practical stuff you get later on is so well done. Like, I love the core. The core is so coolly designed that it yeah. makes up for any CGI.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, but anyway, so thank you, Pork Chop Product one for the comment. Appreciate it. And last comment we have is at that underscore baldy bloke. So... It's T-H-A-T underscore B-A-L-D-Y-B-L-O-K-E. And they say, My only criticism would be that we will never see the proper cut. It was so heavily butchered for a cinema release, and all the extra footage was destroyed by poor storage.
2: (laughs) Oh, boo hiss on that! Like, I, I feel your pain with that because I'm a Doctor Who fan, and so a lot of the early Doctor Who stuff is just lost because they overrode it and things like that. But it's it's such a bummer that they, not only will we never get that, but it's because it got destroyed because of poor storage.
1: Yeah, it's really unfortunate, and it's, you know, it's the problem sometimes with uh, with leaving these things in the hands of money people, like yeah. the studios, right? Because they, you know, for the most part, they don't care. I I mean, there's... There's even been sort of a recent movement towards, it feels like, towards more digital releases and less physical releases, you know. So, there's a possibility that we're moving towards an era of, you know, Blu-rays and stuff like that uh, ceasing to be widely produced by studios.
2: Boo! I like my um, physical copy.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, so do I. And it's it's why I always say, you know, support the boutiques out there that are doing these releases, because uh, they matter. Yeah. And, you know, this is just an example of like why I think those releases matter because we need those physical properties. You know, <laughs> we need we need that we need that film to be stored well. And if and if film companies just stop, you know, putting the sort of attention towards these things that they should, then I mean, it it's it, it would it would pain so many of you to like actually have uh, a good understanding of just how many films have been lost to time simply because they weren't stored well. I mean, yeah. just countless, countless movies uh, from the 80s and before then that we'll never see again because they weren't properly stored, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just very, very sad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's why I always say support the boutique companies because they're the ones going out there and trying to find these things to bring them back for a new audience. To you know? rescue so, them. Exactly. Um, but anyway, thank you that baldy bloke for the comment. Really appreciate it. So one last thing we like to do before getting the spoilers is talk about the tagline versus the movie. So... The tagline for Event Horizon was, a haunted ship, a missing crew, an infinite evil. (laughs) Uh, So what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Event Horizon overall?
2: I mean, it works, it's accurate. That's what the movie is. That's everything the movie is. No,
1: stop, that's a stupid tagline. Boring tagline.
2: (laughs) I love that this is the one time like I'm supportive of the tagline and you're like, fuck you, you're wrong.
1: (laughs) I just mean, like, you know, this month in particular, we've mentioned ones, like, uh, in space, you know, no one can hear you scream. And mm-hmm. then, you know, this one's just so big ba- I'm not going to focus on the tagline. That's not the point of this question. But it's, like, you know, just so basic. Like, yeah. put, put a little effort into people, you a
2: know? <laughs> no, but for me with Event, event Horizon, like, look, I think objectively, I think that this is a really well-done film. I like a lot of the visuals with it, but it creeps me out. It's not my type of film. I'm glad that I won't have to watch it for another year.
1: You monster. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so, so, yeah, I'll just quickly say, you know, I I love this movie. I, I've really come around to it. You know, I, I think my problem initially is, I you know, I, I'll get some hate for this, but I, I do think Anderson's a bit weaker of a director <laughs> compared to oh. compared to others out there you know i i'm just saying I, I you know i i picture this movie in the hands of like john carpenter or somebody like that and i'm mm-hmm. like and, and i think of the possibilities you know uh that being said i do think it's anderson's best movie uh i think it's a great script i've read philip eisner's original script and it just scared the living hell out of me <laughs> you know uh like I, I actually think the script's better than the movie personally but i love the film it's very creepy it, it is very harsh and sinister and all that but I also just want to mention, too, you know, so we had a comment from one of our big supporters at uh, James Shannon Mo, too, on Twitter. And he was asking uh, if we would call this movie The Shining in Space. And the one thing I'll say to that really quick is I actually wrote that movie. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually do have a script called Infinite Darkness that is The Shining in Space that I've been trying to get made, but will never get made because it's expensive. But <laughs> but I've actually written that. But in terms of this film, uh, yeah, you know, it is a little bit The Shining in Space. Actually, when Anderson talks about the movie, you know, he describes it as he had seen The Haunting, and he had been thinking of that film a lot. And then this script came around, and he kind of viewed it as like, the haunting meets the shining, and he really likes the idea of a haunted house movie in space, which is kind of what Event Horizon is. Yeah, and so, so I guess to answer your question, James, like, yeah, it's a little bit the shining in space. I I would say that where I don't necessarily agree with that is I just think that the descent of Weir's madness, mm-hmm. you know, Weird played by Sam Neill, I think is the descent into madness could have been handled a little bit better. Uh, I think, you know, I I think mm-hmm. had it followed a, a similar format to The Shining and focused more on his descent, I would maybe call it closer to that. But that being said, I consider this more like The Haunting meets Hellraiser or something along those lines. You know, I, I think it's a less The Shining and more kind of those movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but the Shining influences are definitely there. So, but that being said, so we're going to move into spoiler territory now. So if you haven't seen Event Horizon, definitely recommend checking it out. We are going to spoil everything for it. Yep. Uh, so, so definitely go check it out if you can. Uh, and with that being said, we always like to start off with who we want to talk about in this movie. So again, you've got, you know, Sam Neill, uh, Lawrence Fishburne plays the captain. Jolie Richardson plays Lieutenant Stark. Who do you want to talk about in this film?
2: Um, so I wanted to t- talk about Cooper, who's played by Richard T. Jones. And look, Cooper is the normal type of character that I'm drawn to because he's kind of our You coo- just
1: like the you just like the jokey characters. I do. Characters. <laughs>
2: well, and here's the thing. I find Cooper really interesting in this specific movie cuz yes, he's a typical character I'm drawn to. He's jokey, he lightens the mood. Anytime this movie feels like it's getting very dark and serious, Cooper usually shows up and has like kind of a funny one-liner relieves the tension. Um, and I do find that interesting. But specifically with Cooper in this movie, I feel like this movie is a lot about trauma mm. and um, you know, things that you can't let go of. So the reason why I want to talk about Cooper is the fact that out of everybody, our jokester character seems to be the most well-adjusted. And that's not to say that he doesn't have his own trauma in Demons, but out of the entire well- crew...
1: Well, so so Cooper's actually an example of, I think, the one flaw with the movie.
0: Oh, and my boy!
1: <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not because of him himself. It's more so that, you know, th- this film, I think, runs uh, 90 to 100 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Event Horizon is one of those few examples where I feel like maybe the film would have benefited from a longer runtime. Because... You know, now, now this can fit into some themes that I want to touch on in a bit, but the thing is, is there are a couple characters in this movie who we don't get any inclination towards their trauma. There's two. There's two. There's Lieutenant Stark, and there's Cooper. Yep. And they both happen to be the ones that, spoiler, survive, yep. right? So, um, now, that definitely plays into the thematics of it, and we're going to mm-hmm. talk about that, but but i also i feel like with the film being so heavy on the synthesis of kind of facing our inner demons and all that mm-hmm. it sort of feels like a small cop out that <laughs> that the that the two characters who survive don't really face any of that oh you know? i have <laughs>
2: thoughts on that later
1: i'm sure you do but uh and i do too actually but but it, it's the one small thing where i'm like i i part of me wants to see a little bit of their darkness you know yeah but but I do think that the film has something insane about that, which we'll get to in a minute. For me, I just wanted to talk about the ship itself because the ship.
2: <laughs> All right, hey, I like the fact that hey. you always get to bend the rules when it comes to the questions. Uh, you
1: can bend the rules too. You just never do. So- <laughs> I
2: do when you yell at me.
1: <laughs> I make fun of you because I'm allowed to. Um. No, so for me, I mean, come on, the 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 ship is a character in this movie, you know. I mean, from from the halfway point on, they're talking about like, oh, the ship is alive, you know, yeah. and and it is. The ship is its own kind of like force, you know. It's a character, and the reason I just want to mention it is because I fucking love love the design of this ship. Really, I think, you don't like the design of the Vent Horizon? <laughs>
2: no it's poorly designed what the hell are you talking
1: about (laughs) like you are you saying it's poorly designed like technically yes it could
2: not survive space travel you cannot have that skinny tiny corridor that's gonna get snapped by an asteroid it's a
1: fucking movie Chris No, I don't care that it wouldn't actually work in space. It's not the point. I Visually, I think the ship is amazing in the terms of its design, you know? And, and it fits so well with the theme because a lot of you think hell initially, and that's fine. We'll stick with that for a second. But I love the design of the ship because it is so mean. It's yeah. a mean ship. And, I, you know, like when you when you go through this thing, I mean, first of all, you've got doorways that open and they're connected with like teeth yeah you know like these metal teeth like the doors all look like they'll fucking chew you up you know Mm -hmm. you've got a hallway that justin walks through to get to the core where it might as well be a fucking meat grinder what's the point to that there's no point to the meat grinder but it looks goddamn intimidating and that and that is the point right like the whole ship just looks like this it's it's just this hellish landscape of metal and 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 rust and blood right yeah and and that's and and i love it and it fits so well because as we're going to get into you know the whole thing is just it's a reflection of torture and and when you consider the fact that Weir was building this ship as he was going through whatever he was going through with his wife you can you can start to see like once you know that you can look back at this ship and start to see like, oh, he was, he was <laughs> troubled. <laughs> when he was he going was, through
2: some shit. He, he was
1: going through some things when he was designing <laughs> and building this ship, you know, and, and I love that you can see that in the design because, you know, a lot of times I, I think we overlook production design and we say, you know, simple things of like, oh, that looks cool or that doesn't or, mm-hmm. or, oh, the ship looks mean or it doesn't. But when you really start to read into it, it's like this ship is a, A 100% reflection of Weir's mindset while he was going through this stuff with his wife. Yes. And and I think that's the brilliant side of it.
2: It's fantastic. Some of the corridors are coffin shaped. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I will give you that the ship and the interiors are such a cool design. Like I especially, I'm obsessed with the, the core room because it's so needlessly mean. Like, oh, yeah. there's a lot of points in the ship that are mean, but the, the core is just like, what if we also have giant fucking spikes, because fuck you. Yeah, like, no,
1: the, the core looks like, you know, I like to think of it like a, like a thorny heart almost, you know, yeah. where, where it's just like, if you were to look inside someone's very troubled soul, mm-hmm. uh, the core is what you would see, just like this bristly, thorny, Heart surrounded by spikes, and you know, basically a bunch of imagery that's like "fuck you, get away from me," (laughs) like (laughs) you know. And and it, and it to me that strikes as both Weir's heart and his wife's heart at the time that he was building
0: this. Yeah,
2: I think I think the ship is definitely a reflection of Weir. Um, But before we get too much into it, we've talked about with some of the other movies and how this is a reflection of how the filmmakers kind of view the future and this one has the absurd goal of a moon colony by 2015 and I kind of want to yeah. what your thoughts are on
1: <laughs> yeah I mean this is always the amusing thing to be about space horror films and really anything that takes place in the future mm-hmm and why my recommendation and not that any filmmaker ever has to listen to me for any reason whatsoever um <laughs> but but my but when i'm writing things in the future and and what i would suggest to filmmakers in general is if you're writing a futuristic film don't date it just no. just put something like sometime in the future you know like yeah. and, and and we'll get it we don't need an exact date because it it automatically dates movies like event horizon and makes them a little bit silly initially when you look back and you see Oh, uh, you know, Philip wrote that we're going to be in having fucking moon colonies by 2015. Now, this was 1997. And, you know, back around that time period, we were still invested in NASA. We still, (laughs) you know, we were still a race that I think believed in technology and advancement and (laughs) or or, or at least pretended to, you know. And so there I I think around that time, there was still a lot of hope in the future. Mm -hmm. And. Now we look at this movie and we're like, 2015, man, we're never we're not going to have a space colony on the moon for like God knows how long still, you know, because we can't I mean, for God's sakes, we can't even convince people that fucking disease and vaccines are real. Like, how the how the hell are we ever going to get people on the moon in a colony?
2: Right. I think my big issue with a lot of sci fi movies um, and this one does it kind of egregiously is it tries to set a timeline for how quickly progress would be made. And it's always ridiculous. It's always super fast, like progress happening. Like, oh, we'll have the moon colony, and then like fifteen well, years later, we'll be on Mars. And she's like, well, science because... doesn't work that way. Well,
1: but it actually does. Hey. I mean, well, no. To be fair, to be fair to that, and mm-hmm. why why I mentioned the optimism is, you know, for you youngins who <laughs> <laughs> who uh, who weren't really alive in the '90s, or you know, were like fetuses or whatever. You know, that that was a time period where like the internet was first coming around, and honestly. Our world has changed a hell of a lot in terms of technology between the late '90s and now. It has. So, but you know, many like many scholars would argue that we actually have seen like a hell of a burst in terms of technology in the last 20 years that that it has moved a lot faster than we're used to. The thing is, it just, there was optimism in the 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. So when Philip, you know, I hate to mention Philip, like, not that he's <laughs> going to listen to this, but I just imagine him sitting there being like, motherfucker, that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> but I like to imagine that Philip was sitting there a little bit more optimistic about the future in terms of we we might have moon <laughs> colonies by 2015, you know? But the, but the simple fact of the matter is, is like, we were more optimistic because the internet was coming around, because we were seen more technological advancements and then we just kind of hit a point where the government was like yeah you know uh we're not gonna fund that anymore uh but but hey war stuff we can we can <laughs> fund that. that like yeah. let's let's find more <laughs> let's find better ways to kill people uh <laughs> but space travel nah, nah yeah, fuck no big space. deal
2: i will say i think his innocence is reflected in the fact that like he cites the event horizon like disappearing as the greatest space tragedy and i'm like Cool. If one ship disappearing is the worst thing to have happened, of you guys building colonies everywhere, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, that's no, fantastic. We, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be nice if we didn't fuck up one in right. um, <laughs> But uh, but no, yeah. But but it's interesting because there's also a sort of grimness to the <laughs> to the future because yeah. when you look at this, you know, I I love I love meeting Weir in this space station that they're in because it the way it's designed, if you look at it. You get the idea that every one of those little capsules is, like, somebody's, let's say, like, apartment, right? Uh-huh. And and you look at it, because that's what Weir's in. He's in one of those little capsules for his apartment. And so when you look at it and we pan out and we see all these little capsules, it's almost reflective of, like, all these people that are living in complete isolation where they're just alone in this little capsule in space and they've got to you know travel through these long hallways and everything just to like see somebody else right yeah um like i like space feels very isolated which it is mm-hmm. and and then obviously the design of the ship is pretty grim and then you also when you look at things around the ship and around uh their ship the lewis and clark i think it's called mm-hmm. uh there's like radioactive symbols everywhere you know and it just yeah. gives you the se- it just gives you the sense of like a very just ugly mean futures (laughs) so he's
2: optimistic that we'll get to space but he thinks we're going to be fucked once we get there
1: (laughs) it's a it's an optimism in technology advancing but it's not an optimism in technology itself
2: fair enough
1: you know what i mean like it's an optimism in the sense of we probably will be this advanced but it's not necessarily condoning being that advanced yeah it's, it's more like it's more like kind of talking about the, you know, because there, there are reflections all throughout the movie of how science is a little bit of the enemy. Yes. You know, like speaking of Jurassic Park, I mean, mm-hmm. you can constantly sort of refer, refer to Jeffrey or to Jeff Goldblum's quote from Jurassic Park where he's like, you know, saying something about how you were so excited that you could and you never stopped to think if you should. Exactly. And, and that's basically, that's pretty much reflective through all of Event Horizon is Sam Mills, the scientist who's like, super excited about, you know, this form of space travel and creating a black hole and all that. Mm-hmm. But everybody else is questioning, him. I'm like, did you ever stop to think about whether or not you should do that? Right? <laughs> but anyway, so getting kind of more back to Weir and focused on the movie, uh, what are your thoughts on the relationship between Weir and his wife and the ship and kind of how they all connect together?
2: So I think that Weir honestly built the ship for his wife. Like, for his wife. Yes, but after she's dead.
1: I don't know that I would agree, but go
0: on. <laughs>
2: okay, so my mentality with it is that he I guess my my headcanon what I take from it is that he was very invested in his work and, you know, she died before he even started working on the Event Horizon, really. And he was so overcome with with guilt about everything that happened that like as he's working on the Event Horizon, you know, he keeps getting asked by um by Captain Miller But where does it go? Where does it go? And he keeps saying he doesn't know. And I Mm. think that that's a fucking lie. I think that he knows exactly where that portal goes. And he built that machine to try to either punish himself for what happened with his wife or to get back to her, depending. Like, if we go with the whole hellscape type of thing, then he'd be trying to go and get her because she committed suicide and Christian rules—that's a sin. But yeah, I think that he built this whole ship as kind of an atonement and to try to get back to her. Because look, when we meet him, he's very unhealthy about his wife. He's got—he's got shrines by his bed. He's got another shrine. He's fucking shaving with the same knife she committed suicide with. (laughs) Like that's a special level of fucked
1: up. (laughs) Well, it is fucked up. I'm not going to disagree with you there. Right. Um, I I think it's an interesting read. I I, I cuz like let me let me put it this way. I don't think he designed the ship for his wife mm-hmm. because uh, when you think about it that just logically doesn't make sense because they were already designing the ship. Were they? they?
2: Were... We don't know the timeline.
1: No, they were. They they flat out talk about it, about I mean that's that's the whole point is that he was working and wasn't with her, right? Mm-hmm. He was work he was focused on this ship. So so I don't think that the gravity drive was uh was invented for him to go find her but i do think that the ship is designed as a reflection of their pain yeah you know like i think i think the entire ship is almost sort of like a shrine to their troubled relationship mm. and and the pain that that they were both feeling because of it you know where it, it's clear that we're felt that you know, there was something wrong, but he wasn't paying attention to it. And all of that kind of came out through the design, you know, yeah. a- and how and how everything kind of looks. And you, and you see that reflected in the ship. For me, I, I, I view I view their connection. It's all really interesting. And I think that it strikes at the heart of what Event Horizon is all about, which is it's kind of a blend of concepts of like survivor's guilt as well as uh as well as you know the the darkness inside of us and suicide mm. itself, you know, yeah. and kind of how kind of how we don't always see someone's pain until it's too late sometimes you know mm-hmm. and, and that's and that's really that's the tragedy of Weir's story with he and his wife is that you know we we learned that he wasn't there for her he he wasn't he wasn't paying attention to her and what was going on with her, and so for him the the suicide is sudden it's unexpected you know as it often is with people we mm-hmm. we often don't expect it this ship to me reflects all of that and how and how we was it's almost like he was predicting the pain mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but didn't but didn't acknowledge it right yeah. and so it all comes out through design and there's just so many little things that happen throughout this movie that that strike me as, like, representative of that, you know, where you've got where you've got the crew, like, when they're first approaching the ship and it's surrounded by all the clouds, right? Yeah. And, and they say, I, I forget who says it, but someone says something about how uh, the ship's right in front of them, but they can't see it, you know? Uh-huh. And, and that, to me, like, it's such a little thing to read into, but there's these little, like, nuggets all throughout yeah. of, of, you can all sort of read into that and view it as, like, If you view this ship as Weir's wife in a sense, Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost kind of acknowledging of like it's right in front of you. The pain, the pain, the ship, the person is right in front of you, but you can't see them for who they really for what they're really going through. Right.
2: Yeah. I think that that's a great point, I guess, for for me with with my theory of why, you know, we're built the gravity drive to go where it goes is the whole reason that before any of this begins, before they're even headed to the ship, Weir's the only one who's having hallucinations. He's already connected to the ship. And so I think that there is, you know, to to your point and to mine, he is so connected to that ship because that ship is his wife. Absolutely agree with you. That's his wife and his interpretation of her. Um, There is a small part of me that, like, just loves the idea of him yelling at the the people building it to be like more spikes she needs more spikes in her heart
0: <laughs> well <laughs> like
2: yeah. and the the engineers are just like are you sure and he's just like crying in a corner just like yes more spikes more sharp things
1: yeah like, i mean i well so i mean with your theory i again i don't necessarily think that he was building the ship with the intention of reaching her but i do think that there's something to say to him being excited about going on the mission with the idea of finding her because <laughs> because again that that ship is his wife Mm -hmm. and and whether whether or not that's acknowledged by him that that i do think is what's going on with him internally and why he's excited about the mission because for him that that ship is what he was doing when his wife died so he has a connection to that and it's like you said he's fucked up in that way where he (laughs) you know where he 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 wants to go back to that to that pain of Mm -hmm. his relationship because at least that's something at least that's at least that's a connection and that's feeling something as opposed to just, like, the nothing he has now, right? Right. So, so it's almost like a way of going back and reconnecting with her. And what's kind of interesting when you go through the film is that, you know, you can sort of look at this as we're having almost kind of like a uh, a telepathic connection with the ship. Yes. Because there's so many little things that are, are a little too coincidental to be coincidence. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, like, you... The first time that Weir encounters his wife on the Event Horizon is in the core, mm-hmm. where her heart, where the soul is, technically right. Yep. Um, That's the first time he encounters her. The first, the first death happens to be Peters, who is you know lying in that pool of blood again in the core, uh-huh. and and it's very reminiscent of you know his wife having committed suicide in a bathtub and being in a pool of blood. So mm-hmm. like you start to you start to feel like you know some of these things are happening not because of the ship, but because of Weir himself.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: and just sort of like... It's almost kind of like if you can imagine that Weir gets to the ship and he is the one who wakes it up. Yeah. You know, like he has that connection with it. It is his wife in that sense. And it's all kind of like happening because of him. Now, obviously, I know some of you are going to look at that and say, no, it's (laughs) because of where the ship went and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, no, on the surface, like in in the plot, that is what it is. Mm -hmm. But I think thematically it's about that connection that he has and how how really this film is about the guilt and the survivor's guilt that he has and how that's kind of coming you know coming out to the world basically <laughs> yeah in this movie
2: no I think that's a good point I think it really is weird like waking up the ship and I think it's also kind of pointing how you know sometimes when you're around another person who's dealing and processing their own guilt and trauma that can kind of bring out the shadows of your own stuff right because um, you know this movie very much has a huge thing about kind of like the duality of man right how we view ourselves versus like the things that we've gone through and i think we're really seeing kind of that ripple effect with our characters right and mm. how it affects all of them
1: yeah well so one last comment about what we were just saying because that <laughs> seems to be my theme lately where i'm like hey no shut up for a second i got one more thing to say <laughs> one last thing i want to say about what we were just talking about is that why why i love this connection with him in the ship and why it's so important is that you also kind of see you there there's also a theme of scene Mm-hmm. You know, and and how Weir is constantly referencing, do you see? And there's all the imagery of, like, eyes being taken out. Like, his <laughs> wife has no eyes. There's yeah. no reason for that. She she didn't cut her eyes out, but she mm-hmm. has no eyes. He takes his own eyes out. He's asking people if they see. The reason for all of this is, like, if you look through the film, you know, you Weir's constant with everybody is that they're trying to tell him about a problem that's going on, mm-hmm. and he keeps dismissing it.
0: Yep. And it.
1: And it really makes you think, like, that was probably weird in his relationship with his wife, where yep. she she probably did, you know, show signs of what she was going through, and he probably dismissed it. He was probably that sort of, like, mansplaining <laughs> asshole who's like, no, it's not that, you're fine, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's doing that all throughout, and why I think he keeps saying, or, or why I think there's this thematic of, do you see, is because seeing is understanding the pain yeah it's it's why he says they don't need eyes where they're going because you feel the pain and yeah. that is seen you know for for this film that is seen is just understanding the pain that someone's going through right mm-hmm. so so anyway that's my little mark on that but <laughs> uh as far as the duality i mean yeah there's duality all throughout the film it's even in weir's name you know so well because i'm uh, stupid <laughs> you are you're not stupid but uh, but weir itself, uh, W E I R, that is uh, sort of now. Granted, I'm not I'm not a language expert, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it. But that's uh, that term is kind of the origin of where werewolf comes from.
2: Oh, you know, like werewolf. Uh-huh. Uh huh.
1: That's kind of where that comes from. And so, to me, I I can't prove this. I don't know if this was Eisner's intention or not. Uh, but to me, weir is named that because. You're supposed to get the idea that Weir is uh, a person with a secret. You know, he's a person with a darker side. Yeah. And and so, like, the werewolf kind of, you know, thematic comes in because it's a person with another side to them. A more primal, darker kind of mm-hmm. beast, right? Um, I just
2: love you so much because you brought werewolves up in, like, a space haunting movie.
1: I will bring werewolves <laughs> up whenever I get the chance, damn it.
2: <laughs> I know, and I love you for it.
1: Um. But but no but but I think that's why he's named Weir because yeah. it, it is speaking to the duality of it and uh, and I mean this whole this whole yeah all throughout you see symbols of duality you know the mm-hmm. portal itself is a symbol of duality this mm-hmm. this idea of uh, you know when it's being explained by uh, by Weir of how the process works where he folds the paper into right mm-hmm. it's that that itself is reflective of this concept of someone being in two different places at once Yeah, you know so like you and I sitting here talking like you can be all you know chip and cheery and and like you're 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 in that place and that's what you're showing the world is this chippy and cheery self at the moment Mm -hmm. right but you might alternatively have a really dark depressing (laughs) you know thing going on inside of you at the moment yeah and and I think that that's what that sort of reflects is Mm -hmm. this concept of being in two places at once, which is what their event horizon does. Yeah. You know, like basically what the, the theme you're all going to hear me (laughs) constantly talking about through all this, which you already have because we're 15 minutes in. (laughs) is just this idea of like the ship 100% is, is reflective of depression and, and the darkness inside of us, you know, compared and how just people don't see it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) For me, it's about, it's about reconciling the mistakes you've made Um, with who you are, because that's that's how I view a lot of the trauma that we're seeing in this movie. Because I think it's, I view it as the rest of the crew. Not talking about weird, because Weird's got his own fucking weird shit. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna just put him in a box for right now. Um, but all the rest of the crew, it's about them dealing with you know the worst sides of themselves and how do you reconcile that and you know our best three examples is the captain because you know the captain is having to reconcile the fact that he has left a man behind and that weighs really heavily on him and he has not come to terms with that he's not that's not something that he's necessarily ever going to forgive himself for but he's still dealing with the pain of that and that's Mm. why he's seeing stuff on the ship that's why I think the people who see things it's reflective of like their mental state because after after we're the first person who sees stuff is Peter's and it's because Peters is very is having a very tough time reconciling the fact that she's not with her well,
1: disabled kid. Well, it's why I mentioned, it's why I mentioned that I think the film's a little bit reflective of survivor's guilt too, mm-hmm. because you know Weir's suffering from surviving the death of his wife, uh, Captain Miller's surviving the death of his com or his friend. You know, mm-hmm. Peters, her son hasn't died, but you kind of get the impression that he has an ailment that might be killing him, you know? So I think she's kind of suffering from the guilt of that. Mm -hmm. And And then Justin, we don't know, you know, but...
2: Oh, I have a thought on Justin. Okay. So with Justin, his nickname with everybody, he seems to be the youngest of the crew. His nickname is Baby Bear. He's everybody's baby. He's the youngest. He's like petted and coddled and all of this stuff. And his big thing with this is the horrors he saw in the darkness inside of himself. And he is having to reconcile the fact that... He inside might not be everybody's baby bear. He's not a child anymore, even mm. though the rest of the crew is treating him as as such, and that that can be really difficult. I think we've all been through that, where like you know, when you reach but, that cusp and everybody's still treating you younger than you think you should be, basi- right? Yeah,
1: basi- basically, when you look at this and, and when you and when you dissect all the kills in the movie mm. and and what happens to the characters and why, all of the characters who have something that they're dealing with, they are. They're destroyed by that. Yes. You know, like Captain Miller, I guess he's not necessarily destroyed by his evil. He sort of conquers it in defeating Weir. Mm-hmm. But but it is there, like, in the final fight, surrounded by fire and all that kind of stuff. Like, his, his subconscious and his guilt over that is still there in his death, right? <laughs> uh, Peters is killed by chasing after her son. Uh-huh. Uh, Justin almost dies by going out in this darkness of space where... It seems to sort of be like he's discovered a void in himself, right? Yeah. And, and he's kind of turning inside out, and the darkness is coming out, as opposed to staying in, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but then you look at, but then you look at the others, and the others who are killed, they're all killed by outside forces. Like you have a uh, Smith, he's killed by an explosion set off by Weir. <laughs> we never get really much of a sense of Smith's darkness. We don't mm-hmm. really know about what he's dealing with, and so he's killed by an outside force like Weir. And that's sort of the consistent theme with those who didn't deal with anything, which is why we also see you know uh cooper and stark survive because mm-hmm. they have nothing that were shown that they're dealing with
2: <laughs> i mean i would argue that i think that smith smith stuff is a little bit more like not talked about as much but, but he, that
1: but that's the point mm-hmm. it's not talked about
2: it's not but like his is at least a little bit more hinted same with dj both of them are a little bit more subtle on um,
1: but dj yeah i mean <laughs> yes but but no but my point is is like they still
2: <laughs> they have no visions
1: they're not they're not killed by their darkness is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say, you know, because yeah. which is why we don't emphasize it, because they're not they're not as tortured as some of these other characters seem to be, mm-hmm. you know. And again, especially Cooper and Stark, who show nothing. <laughs> they yes. show they show no darkness, especially Cooper. Like Cooper's yeah. all just, you know, <laughs> smiles and laughs and whatever. And he has nothing, which is why he survives. That yeah. dude goes through fucking hell in this movie. He goes and through he, so
2: much. And he, and
1: he keeps a positive attitude and he lives because he's not. Because he's not troubled. He's not going through that sort of stuff in the same way that others are. I was agree with say, that. That's not to say he doesn't have anything. It's just saying that he is not so consumed by it as some others in the film are.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: But yeah, and it strikes to me like why at the end you have Weir saying something about how they're not going to hell. They're going something much worse. Because when you consider what hell is, hell is, you know, a bunch of fucking... Demons poking you in the ass with a pitchfork <laughs> or something, right? Uh, hell hell's a very hell's a sort of pain that you can point to and you can say, That's why I feel that way, you know? Yeah. This pitchfork is in my ass and that's why my <laughs> ass hurts. <laughs> and the why he's saying that where they're going is much worse is because where they're going isn't hell. It's not it's not what we consider to be hell. Where they're going is a place where you deal with your own darkness. Yes. And, and that's that's the feeling of depression, you know. I'm sure there's a lot of you out there, especially in this last year where we've been dealing with the pandemic, there's a lot of us, I think, that have been, you know, forced to kind of deal with some things this last year. Mm-hmm. And it's a special kind of hell because yep. <laughs> because when you when you are when you are mentally in pain, when you're emotionally in pain and and it's not something that you can point to and show to somebody else, like, you know, when when you're depressed, you can't you can't point to it and show somebody where your pain's coming from the same way that you could point to the pitchfork in your ass. Right. (laughs) Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a more extreme kind of hell because there's no, there's no relief from it. You are, you are the one who is bringing yourself that pain. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't blame an outside force. You know that it's you ultimately who's allowing yourself to feel that way. (laughs) Yeah.
2: The, the torment and mental pain that we put ourselves through, like with our own guilt and what we build up as terrible things because that's the thing is just like, we create our own hells and our own prisons exactly, that are so yeah. much worse than whatever a fucking demon could right. create. And,
1: and it's why it works so well in space, because like space is all about isolation and we sort of create our own isolation with our mental trauma and our e- mental pain, right? Exactly.
2: <laughs> like and in isolation, that's kind of our only place where we're forced to kind of like deal with all of that stuff. There are no outside forces that we can use to distract ourselves.
0: Yeah.
1: Everyone's listening to this right now like, <laughs> I just wanted to talk about the fun of Horizon movie. <laughs> well, surprise <laughs> Motherfucker! It's a dark ass movie. It's a very dark movie. <laughs> but all right. So that being said, so what? What are your thoughts on the ending with the film? You know, so we've got we've got Cooper and Stark both survive, right? Mm-hmm. And and Stark has her sort of vision of you know the the rescue team comes in, and then one of them is Sam Neill as his skinned motherfucking self. Yep. And uh, so what? How do you, how do you interpret this? Did they survive? Did they not survive? Like, what do you think's going on here?
2: Uh, so, I don't think they survived. I don't think that they ever made it to a rescue cu- crew. I don't think that they ever escaped the ship. Um, The way that I view those two is that, you know, with both Stark and Cooper, they actually have fairly healthy coping mechanisms. They deal with the darkness inside of them. That's not saying it's not there, but they're a little bit better about, like, shouldn't say better, they have better tactics for dealing with it and living healthily. So the ship lets them think that they escaped because they're still in the, like, mental, emotional torture section. Like, everybody else on the ship that we've watched has all gotten broken mentally, ostensibly, right? So the ship can kind of reclaim or can claim all of them. But neither Cooper nor Stark really saw too many visions, really got too fucked up about it. And so the ship has to let them mentally think that they escaped to further break them down.
1: Yeah, I don't agree.
2: <laughs> Fuck you! Um, <laughs> you I, never agree with my theories.
1: Well, so so my, mine is more like I half agree with you, but in a different way. So like...
2: All right, semantics.
1: No, because <laughs> cause you're saying that they didn't survive, period, and that they're still just on the ship and getting fucked with. Yeah. My mentality is more that... They survived physically in the sense that they they are being rescued. They, they did make it, technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that they survived the trauma of it, which is why you see Stark freaking out. Because, yeah. you know, it did, <laughs> to get even darker with y'all, um, <laughs> you know, w- the way I view Stark reacting there is similar to... Uh, Fishburne's character and how he has again. I I do strongly feel that a lot of this is dealing with survivor's guilt too. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I view Stark's sort of reaction as being similar to when Miller, or, or or the or being similar to how Miller is plagued by his survivor's guilt in leaving someone behind, right? Mm-hmm. And I I think that Stark, you know, she she seems very uh very upset as. As Miller is going off to save them, where after the ship explodes, like she even says, like Miller, you know, and it strikes me as I feel like she probably internally thinks that she could have done something more. Mm -hmm. She could have saved Miller. Maybe she thinks Miller didn't have to die. And so I think that, you know, this ending is more so sort of saying that now Stark has her own kind of internal hell Mm -hmm. uh, that she will be dealing with. And it's emphasized just more by the fact that something that we don't consider with the end very often, I don't think, is that they're on a piece of the ship. Yeah, you know, like they, like that. It's it's not it's not like they escaped necessarily because they're still on a part of that ship. And as we acknowledge, that ship is alive. It's it's toying with them. It's doing mm-hmm. all these things. So so I don't think your theory is invalid. Like I think you can totally say that they didn't make it at all and that the ship is still just fucking with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I just tend to believe that it's more so that they are taking a piece of the ship with them. So she's got a piece
2: of the ship in her heart now.
1: Yeah, basically. (laughs) I mean, if you imagine her core looking like the core of the ship now, you know, it's it's basically just they are taking that with them now. They are taking the trauma with them. You know, it's this idea of trauma creates trauma. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that Almost kind of like, let's put it this way. It's almost kind of like um, how Weir sort of lost himself in the, in the loss of his wife. You know, it's not to put guilt on those who are considering suicide or who have done it, mm-hmm. uh, but, but they're, you know, it's an acknowledgement of how when that happens, it does affect other people. And it does, you know, yep. it do- it does for some potentially create a darkness in them or a trauma in them that they can't really deal with and so so it's kind of i i think it's more talking about that and how stark is now you know, carrying this with her, carrying this part of the ship with her.
2: Yeah, she has to live with the fact that not only did a good chunk of her crew die because of the ship, but this captain that she ultimately looked up to gave his life For to her. save them. Yeah,
1: yeah, and she um, and she has to live with that now. Yeah. So <laughs>
2: I will just say, it seems like it seems like Cooper is still standing. He's still got those good coping mechanisms.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I and that's part of the point with him that we referenced earlier is yeah. that, like, you know, Cooper. Cooper just happens to be a a strong-minded dude who doesn't really seem to let much get to him and if he does he finds ways to deal with it. Now, that's not mm-hmm. to say that he doesn't deal with anything cuz that's unrealistic, but yeah. but but Cooper Cooper's like the small positive to take out of the film in that he's sort of the symbol of it's not impossible to live life to the fullest, you know? Exactly. It's not like for for any of you out there that are dealing with depression, Uh, I think that Cooper is the symbol of you can achieve that Mm -hmm. it's not easy, but you can work towards that and you can have that outlook. It just takes work and it takes time. And, you know, and I think
2: part of it comes with the fact that, like, let's look at what Cooper's job is on the ship. He's the rescue technician on a ship full of people there to rescue people. He's the one to rescue the rescuers, you know, and that's not an easy job. He's probably seen a lot of shit. So, yeah, I I really like having a character like Cooper. I'm glad that he survives kind of at the end. And I wish we spent more time with him because he is our symbol of you can deal with harder things, and that's not to say they're not gonna affect you. But Cooper is the beacon that you don't have to drown in it. And no, I totally. love him so and, much for it.
1: And it's why I kinda like uh last thing I'll say about this is why it's why I do like where the ending takes place in the core with uh with Miller fighting Weir there. Mm-hmm. Because I sort of view it as like, you know, Miller is this character who is is uh is plagued by his own darkness but he also has a sense to himself of he wants to save others from that mm-hmm. and so i sort of view this whole fight and and the symbolism of why it happens there i almost kind of view miller fighting that core in the same sense of like when you when you fight for someone mm-hmm. you know like it like if you have someone in your life that's that level of depressed where you worry about them that that fight with miller and weir in this heart of the ship is almost like that fight for trying to save someone's soul you know yeah so i sort of view it as like miller fighting to save the souls of uh who's left you know stark and 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 cooper so mm-hmm. <laughs> but all right so all that being said we gotta start wrapping up now because <laughs> we're already over time uh so who's your killer idiot of event horizon
2: yeah it's fucking justin he touched the goo like, it is
1: Justin, <laughs>
2: right? Like, buddy, you do not touch mysterious goo that just like opened up. I get the fact that the core can get in your brain, make you see things, and blah 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 blah. But you still don't touch weird fucking goo in space.
1: Yeah, I wrote the same thing. Like, my exact note is Justin, why would you stick your hand in mystery goo? Right. <laughs> like, like, who the hell does that? If a portal ever opens up in front of me and there's like weird goo floating around it, I am not putting my hand in there. I don't I... know what you're putting your hand into. Maybe you put your hand in there and there's is like a fucking you know butthole on the other side then you're putting your hand <laughs> into a butthole it's it's the same it's the same concept as a glory hole in a bathroom like you are <laughs> you Space know if glory you, hole <laughs> like if you if you were in a bathroom and and there is a glory hole in the stall next to you look stick your dick through there at your own risk you know like it's <laughs> like maybe there's something good on the other side I don't know but the chances are it's probably not <laughs>
2: I'm just, I see mysterious goo, and I'm space running away as fast as I can.
1: What do you mean space running? You mean
2: because sp- <laughs> there's no gravity? You got to space run? Got space it's run.
1: running is just you know slower because it's in space. It's,
2: exactly, it's space running.
1: All right, whatever. the The point of it is, don't stick your dick in mystery goo portals. Like, <laughs> I love you... how
2: quickly this escalated to your dick.
1: I'm just, I'm just saying, if, if you encounter a space glory hole, don't be putting anything through that. No. Don't, don't put anything through glory holes either. You never know what's on the other side of it. <laughs> uh, but all right. So anyway, look, horror movies have taught us that that is not a thing to do.
2: <laughs> Men's PSA about glory holes.
1: <laughs> this has been my TED Talk. Don't stick your dick in things where you don't know where the other side comes out at. What about your killer death of Event Horizon?
2: Oh, I love Weir just getting blown out of the fucking window because he's an idiot.
1: I guess. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like,
2: I just, I think there's so much about that scene that I love. It's a really tense scene leading up to it. Like, it's a standoff between Miller and Weir. You know, they're talking about not blowing a hole in the ship. And then fucking Cooper shows up. And he's like, I'm back, motherfucker. And Weir's just like, no, you are not. And tries to shoot him because he's an idiot.
1: Yeah. And
2: then just gets sucked right out.
1: The thing I love about that that I I didn't even notice I think until this revisit is that I I love how you know I I was al- I was always in love with the idea of Weir coming back as this like turned inside out Hellraiser looking motherfucker right mm-hmm. um, and it only just struck me now that the reason he looks like that thematically because you know it's it's our inner darkness coming out right to the surface but also because. Well, he did get shot out in the space, and space probably turned him inside out.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, he uh, he has similar marks to like kind of what we see on Justin after Justin gets jettisoned into space.
1: Exactly. So <laughs> that for some reason that just never occurred to me until this reading, but but no, I, I put DJ uh, played by Jason Isaacs just because you know I I wrote the note of like that's some Hellraiser shit because fuck yeah because the fact that his whole body is just like hung up by hooks and like you know. His stomach's been open, so all the guts just fall out like that. We don't see it, but oh my God, is that uh, a memorable image? That is intense. <laughs> uh, what about your killer MVP of Event Horizon?
2: Look, it goes to Sam Neill. He did such a good job with this role of being like creepy and traumatized and just like being a murderous fuck at the end that he completely obliterated the lovely dinosaur man from my heart. Um, so he wins and loses for that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> My poor dinosaur You're, man.
1: <laughs> you will never see Dra- You will never see Jurassic Park the same after this. No, um, I'm just going to
2: see his scarred fucking face looking at the dinosaurs like he's going to eat their heart.
1: Yeah, so I, I put production designer Joseph Bennett uh, because, like I said earlier, I think that if I were to ask anybody, one of the first things that you imagine when thinking of this film is the look of it and Fuck the production yeah. design and, and the look of the ship, you know? So, so I, I'm saying Joseph Bennett because not only is the design of the film so memorable, but we also just, we do not give credit to production designers enough, you know, no. and, and, and like Chris and I have firsthand experience with that where, you know, we talked about how we worked on Big Brother. I always thought that the, the art directors and the designers of like the, the competitions and stuff like they're, they're fucking heroes, you know, yeah. like the amount of work that these people put into that, into that design and how fast they do it is Pretty damn impressive, and <laughs>
2: well, and inexpressibly- you No, know, but
1: but we always give cinema. We always give credit to like the cinematographer or someone like that, and that's fair. You know, th- they they are part of the visuals as well, but we got to start talking about production designers more often and how they are actually creating the sets that we are filming.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, look, your art departments are setting the scenes for everything. Mm. Like, you know, with, with all the production design, they're setting the scene for the world that you're living in. Whether you believe in that world or don't, hinges on how good your production designer is. Exactly. Look, cinematographer can be great, but like... If they got a shit set to work with, like, let's look at Planet of the Vampires. I love the production design with that, but, like, you know, the cinematographer can only do so much. It's dependent on what your art team does, and they kick ass and work so hard and have to deal with ridiculous demands.
1: Yes, they do. They (laughs) are heroes. But, all right, so all that being said, uh, you know, at the end of the month, we always like to wrap up with our ranking of all the films that we talked about, so with our space horror month we've talked about event horizon, uh alien critters 4, planet of the vampires. So how would you rank the films that we've talked about?
2: This is a tough one for me. So I always rank based on how much I want to rewatch a film.
1: Yeah, no, it's yeah. Ra- you can yeah. rank about your favorites, yeah.
2: Exactly. So, coming in at number 4 is event horizon.
1: You <laughs> asshole.
2: <laughs> Look, this is an amazing film. But you're going to watch
1: Planet of the Vampires again before you watch Event Horizons. Okay, (laughs) Planet of
2: the Vampires is gorgeous and silly.
1: I didn't say it wasn't.
2: (laughs) Uh, No, Event Horizon is an amazing film. But me personally, I don't do as well with like the Hellscape films. You know they're just not. They don't resonate with me as much as like something silly and stupid. Um. So yeah, The Horizon, amazing movie. But number four, I don't want to watch it again for a couple of months. Mm. Um. Number three for me, this is where it gets tough because I have different feelings about the other three.
1: I swear to God, if you say Alien, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's Planet of the Vampires. Okay. Look, I love the visuals from this, but I do. As beautiful as this movie is, I do fall asleep. During it because it is kind of long, so yeah, it it's not
1: an exciting movie. <laughs>
2: no, but it is beautiful. So I would rather watch this than watch my beloved Sam Neill become a fucking hell freak. So number three for Planet of the Vampires. Number two is Critters Four. Okay. I want Critters Four to be higher, but there's not enough Kreitz in it. If you don't give me Kreitz swearing and like eating shit, like, and you focus more on the humans who I don't really like outside of the dude who plays Chucky. Then it, y- y- you're only going to be number 2.
1: No, no need to explain hon. You've already lost the audience by putting critters for number 2. So.
2: <laughs> There's going to be somebody who agrees with me. Oh. Uh, and you know, Alien as as number 1. Like it's not my favorite sci-fi movie, but you know, it's fine.
1: <laughs> it's fine. It's all it's only the best movie that we talked about this entire month, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, I, I like Aliens 2 better, so...
1: That's... Yeah, no one's... That's yeah. fine.
2: Yeah, I would have more confidence saying Aliens 2, but Aliens is kind of like... And it's not
1: Aliens 2, it's Aliens.
2: Aliens, whatever. <laughs> Fuck it, I don't care, I'm drunk.
1: All right, whatever. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is where you're going to leap across the table at me. So, Critters 4 is my least favorite. I'm not four. surprised. Uh, Nothing
2: you say on your list is going to surprise me.
1: We'll see. Um, So, Critters 4 is my least favorite. I... Look, I, I like all of the movies we've talked about this month, Um, but Critters 4, I just think is, you know, the, the fact that it was shot in the same two weeks as Critters 3, yes, two weeks. Both of those movies were shot in two weeks at what? the same time, and it shows. <laughs> it really shows. Yeah, like Critter, it does. Critters 4 is not the best production, and I think it could have been way more entertaining than it is, but... <laughs> Uh, but I still like it. Yeah. But it's my number four. Uh next is Planet of the Vampires. Of simply course. because, like you said, I think that I, I try to rate these films more on their their achievements, you know, and, and their quality. So
2: Yeah, you're a critic. You're not numbnuts like me. So
1: <laughs> So Planet of the Vampires, I do put it number three, uh simply because I, I you know, in terms of visuals and production design and all that stuff, it's leagues and bounds above Critters 4. Like, Cruise 4 almost doesn't even try in that area, you know? <laughs> no, <they> so, don't. <laughs> uh, so it's playing of vampires for me. And then Event Horizon, uh, because I-, I love Event Horizon. I think it's a great film. I-, I consider it Anderson's masterpiece. I do think it has its flaws. I do think it could have been better. Yeah. <laughs> but, I- but I really enjoy it. I love the production design like we've talked about. And then of course, it's alien i I think yeah. alien's a goddamn near perfect movie like like I said on the episode- you can roll your <laughs> eyes all you want, but like I said on the episode, to me, there is one second in the entirety of that film that I would cut, and that's when it, and that's the shot where it's very obviously a guy in a suit with the alien, other than it's that my favorite moment other than that, that movie is perfection that that there is a reason that that film. Not only is considered one of the scariest movies of all time, one of the best space horror movies of all time, uh, copycatted by leagues (laughs) of producers and directors and writers over and over and over again. There's a reason it spouted a a whole video game line, a a comic line, an action figure line. That movie is amazing. Considering that that came out in 1979, You know, I, I know that there are people who view Alien now and are mad about it, but just imagine seeing that in 1979 when there was nothing like that movie, and you can see why there are so many like me who are like, that movie fucking is just the best. Yeah,
2: <laughs> makes sense.
1: Yeah, so anyway, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's it for us on our Space Horror Month. Uh, we have not yet put out our poll on Killer Critics getting the theme for next month, so we don't have that yet, but we will be announcing that hopefully this weekend. But hope you've enjoyed our Space Horror Month. Hope you enjoyed us talking about event horizon as (laughs) depressing as moments of it were because it's kind of a dark movie but that's gonna do it for us so i'm matt and i'm chris and have a great night horror fans
2: bye
0: i hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of killer horror critic if you'd like to scream with us some more please subscribe on itunes and follow us on twitter at killer from space as well as instagram at killer underscore horror underscore critic new episodes release every friday so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way i like them have a good night horror fans